Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode four of the Kaleidoscope of Voices podcast. This is an interview on education with Brian McConnell. Brian is an educator, the head of mentorship at Ivy Scholars, an innovation coach and former enterprise incubator fellow at Impact Lab, a mentor at GoodWorks Houston, the founder and a college admissions consultant at My College Map, and the founder of buildmyidea.org. He has a bachelor's degree in electrical engineering from UCLA and a master's degree in teaching in Muslim societies and civilizations from the University College London Institute of Education. You've done quite a bit of work in education. Can you tell us a little bit about your own educational journey? Sure. So I've, I started out uh, wanting, when I was a student in high school, I wanted to become a doctor. Uh, I enjoyed, I thought I was going to go into medicine. And then I took my first anatomy class and dissected, uh, we ended up dissecting um, cats uh, that were already uh, cadavers. And that was my first taste of practical elements that helped me realize that I was not going to be a doctor um, or go into medicine of any kind. Uh, So I was really unsure what I wanted to do ended up thinking about engineering and computer science, uh, went into computer science without understanding what computer science was at the time. <laughs> uh, so I switched out of computer science to electrical engineering, ended up graduating in electrical engineering when I graduated. I uh, ended up working, um, I, I had, because I didn't get into my college of my choice, um, in high school, I ended up going to community college and doing my general education credits and then transferring on to UCLA, uh, which was such an amazing uh, journey in itself because the education that I got at community college was quite amazing in terms of teachers where I look back. Um, But unfortunately, uh, which I didn't realize, my, you know, my grades didn't transfer, meaning that my GPA at UCLA was very different than my GPA at community college. Um, there were little, little things in education that I guess I, I didn't know when I was sort of learning because my, my, uh, my dad had done a bachelor's in technology from DeVry, but no one in my family had actually done a sort of a, a, a regular bachelor's degree in, in the, you know, a four-year college degree. So uh, that was the beginning of my, I guess, my educational journey in the very beginning. And then about three years in, three, four years in, after I was working, I sort of realized, ah, this isn't who I want, what I want, what I really want. I sort of was in my third job after four years. Um, I had sort of gone from company to company. And I went through this entire journey of, do I want to get an MBA? Do I want to get, go into law school and become a patent lawyer? Do I want to uh, get a master, master's in engineering? What do I really want to do? And that's when I sort of realized that I want to go into education uh, because that's where I felt that I enjoyed what I was doing the most. And that sort of sparked me on the path of my master's degree, which was a master's in Muslim civilization and a master's in teaching uh, from the at the time, the University of London, and now, which is uh, UCL, which is University College London Institute of Education. 
So what's your attitude towards education? And in your eyes, what's the value of education for yourself, for others, and for the world? I think my, my outlook on education has changed so drastically as I've sort of grown uh, and gone through my own challenges. The biggest thing that I've sort of realized today is that there are people at the extremes. There are people that look at entrepreneurship and say, well, what's the purpose of going through a four-year college? Why not just go, you know, why not just start a business or why not just get a certification and move forward? Okay. There's those people, people on those end. And then there are others that are sort of so focused on academics where it's like, you know, even in the summers, they're taking summer school. And then it's like right after they graduate, they're taking a master's degree. You know, I remember helping a student at one point who was thinking about her master's degree while she was already an undergrad. Like she was like so focused that she wanted to do, do an MBA at Stanford while she was already just barely a sophomore, um, <laughs> right, in her undergraduate education. And so there are people at the extremes. And what we really need to do, in, in my opinion, is think about the practical with the theoretical. And what I mean by that is, jobs teach you so much. Only when you go through a few jobs, do you begin to say, oh, that's what that education is and that's what makes more sense to me. And, and on the other end, like there's, education is not just about a career, it's about opening yourself up to who you could be, the possibilities of life, the possibilities of our planet, right? Possibilities of space. It's education is so much more beyond just this idea of making money and a career. So on one end, we need to broaden our way of education. And then on the other end, we need to become more specialized in things that we want to ex explore further, right? So uh, what, I, what I tell people, what I tell students today is that like, only through testing things out will you know what you want to learn more about. So for you to start thinking about, for you to pick out your career at such a young age, you can pick out an aspect of your career by getting an internship or maybe you know, shadowing someone, but you, it's hard to sort of see the long-term trajectory without testing and, and sort of piloting things. And so give, give yourself time. Like you, you can't figure it all out. You know, I, I remember, asked, I remember a, a 10th grader asking me like, is it too late for me to figure out what my major is? I'm like, you're, you're a sophomore in high school. How are you gonna know what your major is gonna be, right? And it's not to say you, you can't, but to give yourself that space to explore because there's gonna be more and more industries, more and more specialization. And in order for us to be part of them, we need to give ourselves the time to test, explore, learn, change direction. It's not just a linear process, right? Uh, when it comes to education, I've come to see these two metaphors that I think are so powerful. One metaphor is a ladder. And this is what everyone seems to understand education as. We take a step, take another step, it's all built on each other, right? But you take anything in the humanities and it's no longer like a ladder, it's like a knot. Right? It kind of builds on each other, but it doesn't feel, it's not linear. 
right? And so there's so much expansion that could take place, um, especially within the humanities and the possibility of how the humanities work with STEM. I hope that answers your question. <laughs> yes, that was a really great answer. Um, so you've worked um, in a bunch of different roles with young people and helping them with their education. You've been a teacher, a mentor, a college coach. Can you go um, into a little bit more detail of how you operated within each of those roles? Sure. So I think what I've come to realize is that there's a lot of education that teaches the mind. There isn't enough education that explores the heart, that gives students the ability to, to go deeper into what they may or may not like, to go deeper into their own sort of strengths or vulnerabilities that may exist. Because there's a lot of, There's a lot of vulnerability to say, well, I don't know that answer. In today's world, everyone can search anything up and they can sort of come up with an answer, but it requires a lot of vulnerability to say, well, I don't know that yet. And, and so what I've come to realize is that I love being in settings where I get a chance to really listen and really explore with students what their future may be. Now the, the other, just this other day, uh, in my class, I had the students say something, and it's like, this is exactly why I became an educator, right? And what they said was, they said, wait, you just opened up a new world. And I was like, I like made a note, I like scribbled that on a piece of paper, I'm like, that's, that, that's exactly why I became an educator. It's that aha moment of when a student sees something that they'd never seen before whether it's about themselves, uh, whether it's about the world around them, or whether it's about the challenging situation that they may be in. So um, based on your experience in education and working with young people, what's your attitude towards the future? Oh, I'm so optimistic about the future because I, I tell you like the young people are just so brilliant. Like they are so smart. Uh, they are so ambitious. Uh, they care so much about the planet and about people. I, I think where I sort of worry just a little bit is that uh, I think they could work more collaboratively with, with people. I think so much of their education, so much of their time is spent in, in competition at times rather than collaboration. And I think that's an area that I wish more young people would sort of really thrive in and really sort of recognize that there's, that the world, the minute they're done with college is all collaborative. They're gonna be working in teams. Everything is gonna be based on products or projects where they support one another. And it's really more of a collaborative world at a competitive world. And so when it comes to young people, I am so optimistic. And, and that's the one area that I wish um, that I think as educators, as families, and as young people, 
could further sort of enhance uh, in this, this idea of working together. So um, you've talked about this a little bit already, but why did you decide to start helping young people in their education and um, in their leadership? And why are you passionate about what you do? Uh, thank you for that question, um, Farah. So that, so when I was, um, I'm just gonna share a story because I think it summarizes why, where this passion sort of came from and why it still uh, is really drives me even today. So my, in my first job, um, I was working as a sales application engineer and I was laid off and it was the biggest blessing of my life. And the reason why it was the biggest blessing is because my mom wasn't well at the time. My mom um, had uh, colon cancer and her colon cancer had come back. And so uh, when I was a senior in college, she had actually first been diagnosed with it. And I had taken a quarter off. You know, I had uh, mo many people say, well, you shouldn't be taking time away from your education. And, I'm like, it doesn't make any sense. I'm going to spend time with my mom. Uh, and I had sort of taken a quarter off with her. She had gotten through surgery and she was feeling a lot better. I had gone back to college, um, completed. And now in my first year of work, year and a half of work, her colon cancer had come back. And I was essentially uh, there with my mom for six months uh, before she passed away. Um, and in that time, I sort of realized that like, my parents had sort of worked so hard uh, for me and my brother to have an education, for us to have the life that we had. And life was so short. Like we're on this planet with certain gifts, with certain talents, with certain ways of giving. And for me to sort of spend most of my life trying to live on the weekends or trying to um, just either accumulate wealth or you know work on a work on something that just didn't provide meaning just wasn't worth it and so you know when after I sort of uh, after I sort of re recovered a little bit and and I transitioned I went into biotech uh, hoping and thinking that that would provide a sense of meaning and it did a little bit, but it just didn't provide the sense that I was looking for. And so I went uh, into biotech and then I went to another biotech startup thinking maybe, you know, maybe this other startup environment in biotech would provide that, and it didn't. And so as I began to reflect, I said, what would provide that sense of meaning for me? And that sense of really giving in the way that I could give. And I looked back and it was, the volunteering opportunities that I had with teaching. It was working in, in, a, in the youth camps that I had been part of. Uh, it had been tutoring kids that I had. And that sort of, I sort of realized that it was in those moments that I lost all sense of time. And it was in those moments that I was really fully present. And it didn't matter what the actual outcome was. It was being in, present, in presence with, with young people with, with adolescents. And as I came to realize, it was almost like these students that were, because students sort of 
mature and begin thinking about critical thinking in various different ages. So it was almost like this range of like 13 to 25, it's like this broad range, right? Which includes like middle school, high school, college, even young professionals. But it was when, when pe young people were thinking bigger about, about themselves, about life, and really seeing the sort of big picture and their own strengths and how they can contribute. That really got me excited. Uh, and so I remember when my mom had passed the formula that I had in my brain had just shattered. All life was around this formula of, of success. Success was good grades equals plus good, good college plus a good job was success. And that entire formula broke apart. And what I sort of realized was that success was, was happiness, was meaningful relationships, was living with your strengths, was, you know, was, was a career that wasn't just lucrative, but as a career that added value to the world. And so all of these things sort of shifted and I really began to say, what I really need to do is ask young people, what is success? And I think that is what I felt leadership led to. And innovative leadership is what I see as success. And innovative leadership looks differently based off of different people. Um, so it's really clear that you're incredibly passionate about your career. And um, I think that a lot of students struggle to decide between pursuing their passion or, I mean, being realistic when they're choosing their own paths. Like I've spoken to people who are like, I really want to be a writer or I really want to pursue sociology, but that's just not realistic. So I think I'm going to have to go into finance. What advice do you have to give um, to people like that? Such a great question, Farah. And I think for, for this question really depends on where a student is and where their family is. And what I mean by that is that if, you know, if you're in a household where you're contributing your financial income right from the very beginning, whether you're working in high school or you know, you're, you're sort of, even in college, you're taking out certain jobs to, to, to provide a sense of financial support to the family. Then the idea of becoming a writer, being an artist, some of these pieces become a lot more difficult. And what I would say is that you can pursue those things, but you have to realize that the timeline that you have is a lot shorter. Right? Like you need to provide a sense of, of, of financial security to, to your family and maybe you're, you're just maybe just to yourself, right? The, that money matters to such an extent that it, it matters right now. And so therefore, I think you, if you're in that situation, you need to put your passions as hobbies until you can further fully pursue them. Right now, if you're on the opposite end, you actually have, if you can put time on your side, right? so if you, if you want to become a writer, then what I would say is start writing, start a blog, start becoming a copy writer for, you know, as, as an intern of some kind and, and do that in high school, right? If you do that in high school and then you pursue your, your college degree, whether it is in literature of some kind, or it's in the STEM field, or it's in another. But if you become a writer, 
you need to sort of become a writer and practice that skill as early as possible. And if you give yourself a headway of four years, oh, you can become a lucrative writer by that. But what ends up happening, we say, well, I want, to, I want that income of an engineer, right? Uh, or I want that income of, 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 of someone who's graduating as a doctor or someone who's graduating, right? In, in a STEM field with the sort of, without that timeline. So you can pursue all those things, but you need to realize there's a difference with you, what the, the market will pay you and immediately right now and what the market may pay you down the road. And so we need to just sort of, the way I, I really think about it is that the point, and I love this quote by Simon Sinek, which is the point is to sort of try to make work and passion indistinguishable, right? And if you have the means to do that, the financial means, then by all, like, go for it. But also don't get trapped in this uh, theoretical world, right? You only learn to know if you love something by trying it, <laughs> right? So I, I'm a huge believer in that you, you know what you don't like a lot more easily than you know what you like. Um, so try those things, move forward, but also see the timeline that you have, right? Recognize that it doesn't, it's not gonna be immediate, right? You look at, you look at John Legend, right? We see John Legend as such an amazing musician and songwriter, so talented. But if you look back at his story, like years and years and years went by, right? Before he became the musician that we know of. Right, And so it, your journey is going to be similar. You're going to spend years in that craft before you're able to say, look, this is who I am. But mentally, you need to know that you need to practice that craft. I hope that helps. Yes, definitely. That was like really wise advice. <laughs> um, I think that each job comes with its fair share of setbacks and successes. So can you talk a little bit about some of the challenges that you faced and also about some of your proudest accomplishments as a teacher? Um, awesome. So, so one of the jobs that I had uh, that one of my first jobs was a job at Office Max and I learned so many little things around everything from customer service to how merchandising works and to how stock exists uh, to, to just the sort of how a manager operates and manages all these different pieces. Uh, I remember having this job in high school and I remember loving it in the beginning. I was like, oh, it's providing a steady paycheck. I'm meeting people. This, this is, you know, I, I enjoyed it. And then came back to school these crazy lines till the end of the store. Uh, I remember bringing this L-shaped desk, like I'm a fairly like, um, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not that tall, not that big, but I remember taking this massive L-shaped desk, like it was like twice the size of me, twice the weight of me and bringing that out all the way to the car. And I'm like, oh my God, and there's no one that can help me. And I remember like sort of leaving after that. I'm like, man. And so one of the biggest lessons I learned is that with every job, there are gonna be situations that 
that, that just drive you over the top and that it may challenge you and you may, you may persevere, but you may just be like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm done with this. This is just not worth it anymore. And that's okay as well, right? I think we, we in today's world, we kind of always teach a person not to quit, but in reality, we can't take on more, more and more and more and more um, and not let things go. So I'm a huge believer in letting things go if that's not what you want anymore. So, you know, when it comes to jobs, I think each job sort of you learn so much at. And I think to be really honest, I wish more and more uh, people would take on sort of these unique different jobs because each job teaches you sort of a new skill and a new outlook. And it teaches you how, how people sort of live and work. Right? If you've ever been in the restaurant industry or been in customer service, you tend to sort of act differently towards those people. Like you begin to empathize. So each job sort of teaches you empathy, which, which I find so powerful. When it comes to things that I've sort of appreciated or learned from students, uh, there's just so many students that come to mind in regards to how they sort of shifted their thinking. I remember uh, one student saying something along those lines where, Ryan, you really helped me realize that like, that college was a time for me to explore what I really wanted to do rather than get the most prestigious job or get the best grade so I can go to the best grad school. <laughs> um, but one particular, uh, instance comes to mind, and this was as a college student, uh, college consultant. I remember helping a student go through their college list. Uh, and as they went through their college list, we applied to all these different colleges. And this particular student sort of broken down to going to uh, UT or going to Georgia Tech. And for them, they were, she was in Texas already. And although UT is a great school, UT would have been quite comfortable for her because she would have sort of older friends or you know, certain people that she already knew there. And it would have been a quite of a comfortable sort of environment. And Georgia Tech wasn't part of her initial list. So I had sort of, we had sort of gone through exercises of saying, okay, what, what would be a possible school that is not here yet. And so Georgia Tech became one of those schools. And then um, it became a school that she ended up applying to and eventually sort of um, recognizing that she got admission to. And then in that process of saying, is this who I want to go to or not? She actually spoke to an old student of mine who attended Georgia Tech. Uh, and she's like, oh, I hadn't sort of thought about these pieces and then decided on Georgia Tech. And you know, during this time of COVID, um, she was in a very different environment than she would have been otherwise. And so I think what, what, I've, what I'm really appreciate is that when students sort of are able to explore new environments, new ways of living, new opportunities, it changes them. And it, it sort of, um, it allows them to become a whole nother person that they never thought they would be. And I sort of live for that, that sort of experience to serve in that way. 
Um, so you've spoken um, a little bit about innovative leadership. Uh, why are you passionate about leadership and how did you discover that passion? So when I remember teaching a ninth grade class um, uh, and this ninth grade class, it was just a really bright group of students that were just so passionate. And what I realized was that this, this class was very much like when I was my, when, when I was their age, it seemed like my parents, it seemed like the, the sort of the, the people around me, it was all about grades, all about grades, right? And so their whole existence was around grades. And it was, it was a service learning project that, that we did in class that really sparked their joy. And so what I mean by that is that, you know, a, a group of students realized that they could take jackets and immediately give it to the homeless in the winter and it would be impactful, right? Uh, a, a student who was really creative realized that they can take certain wasted material and create art out of it and use that art to sort of teach people about becoming eco-friendly and recycling and different pieces. Uh, there was uh, a student that recognized that they, he can use his digital skills to begin to, to raise more money for, for certain charities that existed. And what I realized um, in this process is that all of these students were lighting up and it was a very different sort of energy, very different enthusiasm, motivation that they had now versus what they had before. All of a sudden they were able to see that they could take an idea and make it come to life, that they can actually make a difference. Not once they graduate from college or once they go to college or once they finish high school, or they can make, they can help serve, they can create an idea right then and there where they were. And so this was this notion of like, build my idea or, or this idea of innovation of how they can create something. And what I realized was that it ended up becoming, even that things, even if that failed, that idea was a horrible failure. It was a huge experience in their learning because what ended up happening is they owned learning. Instead of learning becoming about getting an A, learning became about them being a better leader, them trying to start something, them understanding what this other person needed, them understanding how they could solve a problem. And to me, that was innovative leadership. And that became like sort of this catch term for how a student could grow and grow and grow. And it didn't matter if they were going through grades or certain subjects or certain majors or even certain jobs. It was how can they grow to be more creative, to be more courageous and to be more collaborative. And what I sort of realized is that these sort of skills that students were learning were all also the same skills that teachers needed to practice to become better leaders. And then as I saw around me, founders needed to practice to become better founders and leaders in their startups. So it was really interesting how this sort of innovative leadership thread came across students, teachers, founders, and professionals. 
Yeah, I um I really um love the ideas that you were sharing. I think that if those um were the kind of attitudes that were dominant in the like education system, our world would be very different. So um and I've often thought about that, Fra. Like I've often thought, what if we really took the classroom to to the to the idea of of international development or to the problems that exist in our community. Because I think we've really, we've, school has become so academic. And to be honest, the, the, I feel like the world and the corporate world has become so oriented towards uh, maybe making money or capitalism. And there's a lot of stuff happening in the middle where schools and corporations are driving towards uh, the sustainable development goals, right? And these are ways that, that, that many countries across the world, if not all the countries, have said, these are areas we need to grow in, right? Um, and so I think there's just lots of opportunities for more and more education to explore those opportunities and more and more work and more and more corporations and companies to sort of see how they can also provide uh, those experiences for, for the people in need. So um, in your opinion, what is leadership all about and what makes a good leader? I think as I've come to realize this idea, leadership to me is all about courage. It's being able to stand up and speak what you believe, uh, to ask questions that others may not ask. And it's almost standing up for the people that may not have a voice, right? It's giving voice to the voiceless. And I think the way that I would see how one can become a better leader is to really open their eyes, open their hands, uh, open their minds, open their hearts to the challenges that exist around them, right? Um, when I look across the world, right, there are so many, many, many people that are so bright, so brilliant. And for many of them, their goals are purely academic. And what I mean by that is, it's great to sort of go after and, and sort of, you know, become the best in, in, in a sort of a class and sort of move that forward and get an amazing GPA, become the valedictorian. But I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that there's so many opportunities to serve, right? And if there's one thing that I would say is that the leader tries to really they try to recognize well, what is right. They ask that question of what is right. What would be the best thing to do? Rather than just sort of having that judgment of this is what you should be doing. And I think this is, in today's world, this is just so important because we've, we've sort of painted people as villains or heroes uh, just all the time. And what we really need to do is, is to ask, well, what happened that may have sparked this in that person? How could I understand this further? 
what could I do to really try to see what am I missing here, right? And asking those sort of tough questions and then bringing people along. Right? It's really easy to just sort of state your opinion and say, look, this is the right thing. But it requires a lot more effort to say, well, how can we get here? You know, I, I had a friend once say, and it really sort of stuck with me, is that when, we, when we've thought about, it, about an idea and we mention it, we almost immediately want people to, to believe in it and move it forward. But they haven't gone through that journey. They haven't sort of broken that problem down. Right? How can we expect that from people? We almost need to sort of walk them through our thinking and then move it forward. And so I think when I think about leadership, I really think about courage and I think about being creative and challenging the status quo. And I think about bringing people along with us because so many of our challenges are not just solving for the result, but it's solving uh, for changing people's minds. Um, so if people like are looking at the person who you are today, I mean, they're seeing this person who's gotten very far in making a big impact on the world and someone who's extremely passionate about what they do. But um, I guess what I want to understand is how you became who you are. And so what person or events have had the greatest impact on your life, your values, and your thinking? So I think when it comes to who I am, I think it's constantly changing, right? The 18-year-old Ryan is so different than the 25-year-old Ryan who, you know, who lost a parent at that age, um, who is very different from the Ryan today, right? Um, who's been an educator for, for more than a decade. And, and I think if I were to sort of go back and, and look at how I've grown and changed, I think I've sort of realized that there, I've discovered more of what my strengths are. My, my strengths are really in being able to see the possibilities around, around a situation. My strengths are really sort of trying to listen uh, to people to try to understand where they're coming from. Uh, my, my strengths are in really trying to find what is the big picture? What, what is the why behind this? And being able to zoom out. And I, and I think, you know, if there's one thing I've sort of realized about me is that it's, it's these strengths and it's those experiences that I've had that sort of shape the next part. And I think in today's world, we say, okay, this is who I want to be, right? This is the problem that I want to solve, or this is, there are so many ways of sort of thinking about the future. And I think one of the ways of thinking about the future is to really recognize the strengths that you have, and also to recognize where you lose your sense of time, where there are flow states, where uh, you sort of lose yourself, Right? So in this podcast, when I'm speaking with you, Farah, or when I'm in a class uh, teaching, or when I'm you know, maybe talking to a founder um, and sort of hearing the challenges that he faces, or a student who's applying 
uh, and not sure which colleges uh, to really sort of apply to. In all these situations, I sort of lose myself. It, it becomes not about the result or the outcome. It becomes about being present, about listening, uh, about really trying to understand where the person is coming from. And then going deep within to say, well, is there something that here that I can share? Can I contribute in some way, right? And almost living in that space where you don't know. And, and I think those sort of moments where you forget yourself, uh, where, um, where you lose yourself, where the subject sort of gets lost in the object for you is a pathway forward, right? If you can find more of those, if you can find a job, a career, an opportunity where you are more, more and more in those moments, that's amazing. Because then it doesn't really feel like, it doesn't feel like work. Yes, you may have to wake up early on a Monday morning, or you may uh, have to deal with certain paperwork, right? But that's gonna be a small portion of the, of the time. And it, it'll just make, like, it'll be worth it. Because there will always be a, there will be parts of a job, uh, parts of, uh, of a company, you know, parts of running your own business that you don't like, right? But it's those moments that actually make it all worth it. So what final word of advice would you give to today's youth? Um, it's really hard to look at advice. I've come to realize that through the years, I've given so much unsolicited advice. And I used to receive so much unsolicited advice. And it was really weird because I think uh, as a personality, when I was younger, I was a challenger. Even today, I think I sort of, you know, if someone says something to me, I'm like, okay, well, but why did they say that, right? And I'm like, is that the way that it really needs to be? And so I think, if there's something that I would really say is to see if there's any truth to when someone tells you to do something, right? If, if, if someone says something to you, is that really for your benefit? Is there any sort of value in there for you, right? That's one. And on the other end, maybe the person is just saying it from their own perspective and that's fine. Maybe if that's a loved one, you've just maybe learned an insight into, into who they are. And I think what I'm trying to say here is really just slow down a little to, to sort of, to process what's happening in your life. And I think to a large extent, um, our quarantine lives has sort of done this where we've become a little bit more reflective <laughs> possibly in, in, in the way we live. And so I think my, my, the one thing that I would share just about everyone is that there's no hurry. If you look back, you know, if I, if I look back, it didn't matter. I remember being tough on myself. Like, I think I'm, I graduated in like, in four and a half years or almost five years. And that was actually expected for, for an engineer, right? But I remember like, oh, you know, I should have graduated in four. Or, you know, I got my professional job at this age. Or none of these things matter. If you look back, it doesn't matter if you graduated at 22 or 23 or 24, right? 
Or it, if you decided not to go to college, it didn't matter if you actually pursued uh, a certain path at what age that was. Now, obviously you shouldn't be sort of, just sort of not moving forward in any way, but give yourself time. I think that's sort of the piece because we're in this rat race for no reason. <laughs> you can enjoy life, you can enjoy your experiences, right? Um, rather than just get to the end. Right? College is the best time of one's life. And high school can be that, right? That, you know, your first job can be that. But it's all about how we choose to look at it and how we choose to sort of treat ourselves in that moment. So I know there's a long sort of story around that that I just shared, but I think the biggest thing that I would say is to be kind to yourself and slow down. All right. Um... One of the things that I really wanted to share is that I wish I could go back in time and I knew that I should have friends across all kinds of ages. Like it was only when I, I remember meeting a, a friend and making a friend who was in his, when I was 19 and he was in his thirties. Uh, we were both at community college. And I remember realizing he was so sharp. He was so focused. And I was like, and, and I was like, like you know, how was this, this experience for you? I remember asking him. And he was like, Brian, like, this is, this is great. Like, I know what I need to learn. I know what I want to learn. And I'm moving things, you know, I'm moving along those ways. And I looked at myself, I had like, I had all these different distractions and all these things that I was doing. And it really, I think it was one of those moments that I first, first realized that like, we often segment our friends by ages, right? And so now I have friends that were my old students, right? I have friends that are in their 60s. Um, and so what I've come to realize is that when you make friends that are diverse, it changes you. It's like an immediate way of, of learning and, and growing. And so if there's one takeaway I wish all students had, it was to make friends across different backgrounds and different agencies. And that's all. Thanks so much for coming on, Ryan.